Good morning, Village Church of Bartlett. It is good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor at Village Church East. If I haven't met you yet, there's your introduction. It's good to meet you. Michael and I will once in a while, uh, once or twice a year, will uh, swap. So he's over at East today, and I'm with you today. I don't know who got the worst end of the stick, but that's how it's gonna go, all right? You can judge for yourself and determine, uh, determine how this flies for you. But East is going great for all of you that are, in, are, are, are maybe not up to speed with what's happening. The Lord has been doing some amazing things at East. We're growing. Uh, right now, our attendance is about 100. Uh, we have two churches. We have one church uh, in-house at Fountain View Community Center. Here's where we're gathered right now. Uh, this is on the corner of Gary and Lies, if you're familiar with Carol Stream. Uh, we have about uh, uh, 90 to 100 people that are regular attendees, and then we've got another church online with just as many people watching us online. And the Lord has been good to us through COVID by giving us an opportunity to establish this presence online that we do every, every week. And we have a team that is devoted. We do set up, tear down things. So they are committed more than I am. Uh, even at times I think to myself, but they are amazing people who make this happen every single week. We do community uh, events like you do. Uh, one thing that we did even before uh, uh, well, in the middle of COVID, this is, you can see, uh, I turned 50 last year. You'd never guess it, would you? Uh, so this is, we had this out on your lawn out here, actually. We needed to go to a place because Fountain View is shut down. Actually, today is their first day where they allow us to take off masks. Can you believe that? We literally have been under this gun. Uh, we only opened three, three months ago, actually, uh, because we haven't been able to be back there. So we've really put a lot of emphasis on our online presence. But last year, we, this time we were here out on the lawn, and we were so, you can see they're all happy to be there. Uh, it was nice to be able to be together and worship. We do community outreach as well. One thing that we did before COVID hit was we had a, a community church service. We invited a whole bunch of people over, and uh, we had to move to the gym because there was, uh, there was so many uh, participants. But uh, that was a lot of fun. So uh, we're trying to partner together with community churches. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. And uh, we have a lot of good relationships with the churches over there in uh, Carroll Stream. And then, of course, we do community events like this one. This is our parade that we did actually two years ago. They canceled it on us last year, but here's the parade. There it is. And uh, so we, we, we're excited about what the Lord is doing over there. We're always doing new things. If you want to visit us and find out what we're doing, it's Village, Village Church East, vceast.org. Uh, and you can find it. One thing that we are doing now that I'm kind of excited about is a new project. God is bringing together uh, new people that are new to the faith. They're accepting Christ as their Savior. They're getting baptized. If you've never done baptism in a public pool with people doing laps behind you, it is a very exciting way to do baptism. But we are... Uh, constantly seeing people come to know the Lord, which is exciting for us. And one thing that we're doing now is I'm doing a podcast. I literally just started this. It's called Thinking It Through. You can check it out online if you'd like to do that. But it deals with cultural issues because uh, a lot of our new folks, new to the faith, have no idea how to navigate through cultural uh, issues that they've been dealing with their whole lives. Uh, they literally don't know what God's word says. So this is a brand new thing. That, uh, that's not it, but you can check it out online if you'd like to. Um, so that's a little bit, little update. I could tell you so much more, but I'm not going to. If you want to learn more, uh, you can visit us online or just ask me afterwards. I'm excited to be with you. It's been a while since I've been here. Um, a lot of you I know, some of you I don't know, and so I'm looking forward to getting to know you as well. Have you ever been in a situation where you've walked into a scenario where you were embarrassed because you didn't know all of the details? 
You ever been in a situation where if you hadn't known more about an event, it would, you would have come off a little better than walking into a situation where you didn't quite have all the information? For me, this happens like when I'm invited to a party. I don't know if that ever happened to you. It's like the dress code. I never, I'm, I'm old enough now to know when somebody invites me to a party or an event, I always say, what is the dress code? Because I have showed up underdressed or overdressed at times. Overdressed is easier to fix than underdressed. And it, you get into a situation where you just feel like, oh, I, you know, I feel a bit of a, like a dork here. I, I wasn't quite prepared for what I'm walking into. And, and, every, and it doesn't have to be at a party, but everyone in a situation where if you hadn't known just a little bit more details, you wouldn't quite have come off as such a weirdo. <laughs> you wouldn't have felt so bad. When I was a kid, I like to read comic books. And do you remember reading comic books way back when? I know I'm dating my... I'm at least 50. I'm not going to tell you how much more than that, but that was a year ago, so you could do the math. Um, so you had these comic books, and you would cut out a corner of the comic book, and then these comic books, that you could buy stuff, remember? And you put the little thing in the mail. You put all... You had like 10 little corners or whatever, and then you put like 5 bucks or 10 bucks in the mail, and the U.S. mail system would get back to you in six months with your little prize that you bought. In, in comic, do you remember this comic book world? So this one time I ordered x-ray glasses. I thought x-ray glasses were gonna be awesome. I could see through walls, I could see through my hand, you know, see my skeleton. I could, uh, you know, see through tests and see the, what the real answers were. I didn't think that. I could look at the ground and see, you know, dead bodies in my backyard, whatever it was. I, I was thinking x-ray glasses would be the coolest thing in the world. And so finally I got enough comic book things and I threw my money in the mail and waited my six months and then checked the mail all the time and finally I got them. I got the box. I ran up to my room. I opened the box and I pulled them out and I thought, these are kind of funky looking, but they must be awesome. They must work. And I put them on. I couldn't see a thing. I couldn't see a thing. X-ray glasses don't work. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So I go to my friends and I said, because I had told my friends, I'm getting x-ray glasses, I'll be here in a week, I can't wait. And they're going, okay, Craig. And then I brought them to my friends, I said, look, these are x-ray, they ripped me off, you can't even see through these. And they go, yeah, we knew that, you, you didn't know that, we knew that. I'm going, you could have told me like six months ago. You ever feel like somebody knows a little more something than you do about a situation? You ever feel like that about God? When I was deciding where to go to college, I thought to myself, God, if you just tell me where to go to college, I'm okay with it. Like, just tell me where to go. I don't care, Zimbabwe, whatever. As long as I know you want me to go there, I'm good. So I started praying about it. I started thinking, okay, I started doing my research. You know, I'm looking for clouds in the sky. Should it be this college or that college? Give me a, give me a sign or, you know, my coffee. If I look for, is there a Mother Mary picture in my pizza? I'm looking for every sign I can think of to find out which college I should go to. And I got nothing. I got nothing. All I got is a bunch of different colleges that I was thinking about going to, and I thought, okay, I'll finally decide on one. I, I gotta decide on one. So, so I prayed about it, and I just went, and I went to that college. When I got to college, I met Beth. And I don't know how a girl from West Virginia and a boy from Nova Scotia would ever meet any other way than for that boy from Nova Scotia to go, uh, I'll go to that college right there. And I met Beth. And better than any college education, I got a, an amazing wife who has given me an amazing life and an amazing family. 
It's amazing how much God knows about my life that he doesn't tell me about. And I have, to, I have to walk in faith. I have to trust him. I have to make decisions along the way. But aren't you like me? Wouldn't you just like for God to just tell you what's around the corner? Just tell me. I know you're already there. I trust you. Is it Zimbabwe? I'll go. Just tell me where I'm supposed to be. Wouldn't you love for God to just tell you what's around the corner? These Hebrew people are about to enter into the promised land. Now, if you didn't know this, Michael and Alex and myself and sometimes some other pastors from the area will get together and we will, we will do these plans on what we're going to be speaking on next. And so we're actually working through the same series that you are. He speaks here at Bartlett and I do the same message at East. Uh, he does it his way, I do it my way, and, but it ends up being like the same message. So we're tracking along with you. And so the question that I'm asking you is, as you have walked with the Hebrews, as they've been rescued from Egypt by Moses, they've made their way to Sinai, they've received the Ten Commandments, and now Exodus 21 to 24 are just a whole lot of weird laws that help them develop as a nation. These slaves are going to create a nation. They've never done this before. In fact, no one has ever done this before. And so God intervenes and gives them all of these laws, all of these statutes, all of these commands. And I gotta think, somebody at some time went, I can just handle the 10, let's just stick with the 10. But he goes on after the 10 to give them details of things they are or are not to get involved with. That's the time period that we're entering right now together. We're entering into this period of, of time when the Hebrews are about to be entering into the land flowing with milk and honey, but they're given a whole lot of weird laws. More specifically, they're given a lot of weird prohibitions. And they gotta be asking themselves, why? What does God know that I don't know? Now, what do they know about the promised land? Well, they know it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not sure what that means, fat cows and a lot of bees. But whatever it means, there's a lot of stuff in that land that's going to be prosperous for them. It's gonna be a wonderful place for them to be. They only know small details. They know that God is giving them laws. They're gonna be a new nation. God's gonna be with them. God's gonna bless them. These are the details they know, but they don't know anything about the land that they're entering other than those things. God is about to help them now, give them a little bit more information, but along with these laws on how to prosper, he's giving them guidelines for what they need to do in order to be a prosperous nation. God knows things about the land that they don't know, and they're going to have to learn to trust him. And what's the main thing that God knows about this land that they don't know? It's packed full of evil to the brim. They are going to encounter evil like they never imagined in their lives. So God gives them laws on how to tackle the evil that they're about to encounter. Verse 23, God says, When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the different ites in the land, I will blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Why, God, are you giving this command? And the answer is, he knows things they don't. He knows stuff that is happening in Canaan 
that they don't know about. They've never experienced. And the main thing was these groups, straight up evil. There's sorcery in this land. There's human sacrifice in this land. There's witchcraft. They're burning babies to get rain to fall from the sky. There's evil in this land like you cannot begin to imagine. When you read idol worship in this day, think devil worship. That's what's happening. In other words, God knows something that they don't know. And God says, be vigilant, keep on task, get rid of the inhabitants because they're involved with an evil you have not imagined. This is why God begins his section in this passage of scripture with these verses. Verse 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Now you're reading that and you're thinking to yourself, that's kind of gross. Like some of that stuff is kind of nasty. God's not sitting around thinking to himself, I wonder some things I should tell them that they should be aware of that aren't necessarily going on, but they need to be careful about. He's writing this stuff because this is normal. This is regular in the culture of Canaan. And so he says to his people, you're about to enter into a land, you're gonna see stuff you're not prepared for. Here's a little taste of it, don't get involved. They're about to walk into a level of evil and debauchery they've never encountered before. And what's gonna happen is this stuff is gonna shock them at first. They're gonna walk into the land and go, oh my word, I, oh, gross. You see, that's what's gonna happen. But over time, that shock, that repulse feeling would turn to intrigue. And that intrigue would turn into temptation. And that temptation would turn into participation. And you think to yourself, Craig, I don't see that coming. I don't see how that would happen. I can't see anyone who would follow the Lord that would get involved in that level of debauchery. Really? Whatever intrigues you today will tempt you tomorrow and whatever tempts you tomorrow, if you're not careful, you will become a participate in given enough time. You probably think to yourself, well, Craig, how could this stuff tempt anyone? Good question. I remember the first time I saw an Ouija board. I was intrigued. This was an interesting thing. And I had a youth group at the time. And when I, first, when I saw my first one, like in real person, this is before Amazon when you could actually order stuff overnight, not six months. But anyway, uh, I digress. So I'm at, a, uh, I'm at one of those places where you, you play the games and you, and you get you know, 30,000 tickets to get a pencil eraser. You remember those places? All right. So I'm at this place and I'm, I'm playing with my kids and we're gathering all these tickets together. And I can remember the first time they introduced it, the first time I looked in the case and all of a sudden they had a new prize. It was an Ouija board. They're giving it to the kids for tickets they get out of bowling. You see, because whatever intrigues you today will become something that tempts you tomorrow. And everything about that kind of stuff intrigues our nature. It just does. I remember the first time I saw a guy talk to the dead. It used to be on TV. There used to be a show on TV and there's a group of people that were gathered around and this one guy in the center and, and he would say, is there a girl named Mary here? And Mary would go, oh, my name, there's six hands. Our name is Mary. Okay, does this Mary have a sister whose name is Charlotte? And, and Mary would go, oh, I have a sister named Charlotte. Yeah, did she pass last year? Yeah, she passed last year. I've got a message to you from Charlotte. And I'm going, that is amazing. How does he know all that stuff? 
I am intrigued. That's incredible. It's intriguing. Now, I don't know who that guy was talking to, but it wasn't Charlotte. You see, whatever intrigues you today, and by the way, if, you've got, if, if you have issues on this, let me just cap this off by saying, when you exit this life, you go to one of two places. You either go to be with the Lord or the other place. All right? I'd rather be in one than the other, by the way. So you don't stick around to make things right. That is a, that is a falsehood of the devil, and it's a way that he gets you to be intrigued by people who can talk to people who have stuff left over that they need to do on this earth, and it's just, it's compelling, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, maybe it is that way. It's intriguing. I don't know who that guy was talking to, but it wasn't Charlotte. Haven't you ever been intrigued by the spiritual realm? It's compelling at times. And I want you to know in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, it tells us a little bit about this. The Bible does not speak a lot about this, but it speaks clearly about it. It says, Satan and his demons will disguise themselves as anything they want to in order to get our minds off of Christ. You can read it for yourself. Satan is the father of lies. He wants nothing more than to intrigue you at first to pull you down later. God knows this, and he's telling the Hebrews, you're going to enter in this land. It's going to be repulsive at first. But then you're going to get a little bit intrigued. And then the pull will come. And before you know it, you will become participants. In fact, God says, avoid all of it. Did you know that? Look at the verse in verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall, they sh- they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Do you know what a snare is? A snare is something you don't want to walk into when you're fishing on the, on the banks, right? And the grass is high, and you're always, I love fishing, so I'm always thinking to myself, what's in the grass? You know, and you've got to be careful, careful where you walk. Because when, when you walk, you, you might walk, I always think to myself, maybe there's an old bear trap here, and I'll just put my foot in it, and boom, I'm stuck. That's what a snare is. A snare is not something you see coming, it's something that's hidden Their gods, their idol worship would become a snare to people who serve God. Does that not scare you to death? You'll walk into it and you won't even know it. God knows something about our tendency to pull up all this evil and reasons that would pull our hearts away from God and to call these powers of darkness up, those who were dwellers in this land and these Canaanites would be involved in all kinds of evil rituals. And God is telling his people, don't even get involved. Don't speak of it. Don't talk about it. Ever heard of the god Moloch? Moloch was one of the gods in Canaan. Moloch was one of the ones they worshipped. Moloch would always be built. He was a heat, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he conducted heat. So he made them out of metal or something like that. Whatever you got laying around, some metal or something. Something that would conduct heat. You know why you needed him to conduct heat? Because you'd build a fire at his feet and you'd, you'd heat the living daylights out of him. His hands would be out like this or do you have a hole in the stomach? One of the two. Either way, that's where you put your living child. You would make sacrifices to Moloch so that you could get rain or prosperity or whatever it is. Take the kids you like the least, but this is what is necessary to sacrifice to Moloch. That was one of the evil gods of Canaan. God warned about these people 
and, and their gods consistently. Leviticus 18.21 says this, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. That's an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal to make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that is a nasty list. Uh-huh. But what repulses you today will intrigue you tomorrow. And what intrigues you tomorrow will become a temptation. And what becomes a temptation will become participation. The temptation to dabble in this occult would bring these people to ruin. So God goes on to say in Leviticus, down in verse 24, he says, don't make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these nations, I'm driving them out. All these nations have become unclean and the land became unclean. So I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Do you understand? They're worshiping of these foreign, of these nasty idols, these evil, this, this devil worship was polluting the very ground they walked on. The ground had had enough of these people. Now you might be tempted to say, Craig, only silly people fall for this. Only, only people that aren't, aren't educated, like obviously they're slaves, they don't have a lot of education, so God's really trying to be overly cautious with them. Who's the smartest person in the Old Testament? You sound just like the first service. Okay, thank you very much, yes. Solomon. You remember him, Solomon? He's, God said, I'll give you anything you want. He said, I just want to be wise. You remember that? Solomon, we all go, oh, Solomon's so good. Solomon, the wisest guy in the Old Testament, right? Wisest guy in, in, in Israel. And if you read about the, the uh, exploits of his life, you would agree with that. He was an amazing guy. But he had an Achilles heel. What was his, his Achilles heel? Yeah, he liked the ladies. Right, all right. So 1 Kings 11, verse one. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, <laughs> Moabite, Ammonite, Edenite, Sidonite, uh, Hittite women. Uh, he liked them all. He's got a thing for the ladies. From these nations concerning which the Lord said to the people of Israel, now get this, does this sound familiar? You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. So Solomon clinged to these in love. He clung to them because he loved them. Solomon didn't carry out God's wishes evil. But surely it didn't have an effect on Solomon like God said it was gonna affect these Hebrews that were entering into the land. Surely by Solomon's time, he was smart enough. He was educated enough. He was worldly enough. He lived out there in the world. He knew these temptations. He wasn't gonna participate. Surely, right? He's the wisest man in the Bible. Verse six, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And Solomon built a high place for Kamash, the abomination of Moab, and for who, church? And for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites. On the mountain east of Jerusalem, he built an altar so babies could be sacrificed on the mountain of God. You see, whatever is intriguing us today becomes a temptation tomorrow. And before we know it, we are participants. God knew something Israel did not. The pull of evil would take over this drive to worship God alone and eventually what intrigued the Hebrews today would make them participate in tomorrow. Back to Exodus. 
God says, pay attention to all I've said to you. Make no mention of the names of their gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Are you seeing the, the parent part of God here going, don't dabble in it, don't talk about it, don't mention it, la, 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 don't, don't do it. I see nothing, I hear nothing. Why? Not because it doesn't exist, because you've got to stay away from it. Don't even dabble in it. And they would need protection. So you know what God did? He gave them protection. Here's a couple of verses. Here's, here's what happened. God would send his presence with them because this is a, this is a spiritually evil problem. And they would need spiritually heavenly armies to fight. So God gives them protection. I love this about God. Verse 20, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. This angel was the presence of God. God said, I will send the spiritual presence of my own before you and it will strike fear into your enemies. Look at this, verse 27. I will send my terror before you and throw them into confusion. All the people against whom you shall come, I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. When does their enemy turn your back to you? When they're running, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna fight for you, I'm gonna protect you. I know this is a dangerous place you're gonna walk into, but we gotta rid the land of this evil and I'm there fighting for you. More than that, verse 28, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. You ever step on a hornet's nest? You ever step on a hornet's nest and go, that is the most intriguing thing I've ever seen. What do you do when you step on a hornet's nest? Get out of Dodge, right? God has said, I'm gonna send my presence before you. It's gonna be like hornets. They're gonna run from you like they just kicked over a hornet's nest. Isn't that great? Verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. It's gonna be rough. It's gonna take time, but keep on task. It will be worth it. You'll get all the milk and honey you want. Verse 22, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, that's the angel's voice that is fighting for them, the presence of God, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Don't you love that? Wouldn't you love for God to say, listen, I'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. I mean, you'd think at this point, these guys, these, these Hebrews would just say, yes, let's go, let's take the land. God had destroyed the Egyptian army with a flood and God would use the Israelites to be the flood that would destroy the armies of Canaan, drive them out. God would do it for them because he knew something they did not. And because we read ahead, we know they blew it. Because we're on this side of the story, we can read back and we can see what happened. And they didn't rid the land of idols and they didn't rid the land of the people and they did marry with them and they did adopt their ways and you did have kings building altars to pagan evil gods and participating. Every major follower of God seemed to struggle with idol worship. Did you know that? Gideon had to destroy the idol garden in his father's backyard before he served the Lord. Samuel's sons were devoted idol worshipers. David built an idol altar in his own home. Solomon built temples to false gods. Most of Israel's kings, idol worshipers. This was the culture of the land. And we're probably thinking to ourselves, oh, I don't have a problem with idols. 
You see, it begins with dabbling in what's popular in the culture that you know is wrong. Some of it even repulses you, but it's intriguing. And so you dabble. The Hebrews were ignorant of the dangers of the dabbling, and they dabbled. The pull of the Canaanite culture, the temptation to apathy before God was too great for them. So Satan got to the great men of the Old Testament and the great women of the Old Testament this way, through their culture. And the fall was incredibly quick. It went incredibly fast. In fact, Joshua, when you get to the book of Joshua, it's a great book. If you've never read the book of Joshua, good read. Get to Joshua. Joshua takes over where Moses left off. Joshua was an incredible man of faith. Joshua and Caleb, they spied out the land. Remember, 10 were bad and, or 10 were bad and two were good. You never sang that song? 12 men went to spy, okay, and 10 were bad and two, okay, anyway. So they come back. These two, Joshua and Caleb, they said, let's go in, we can take the land. They have big grapes there. I don't know what that means again, but it means there's a lot of stuff that, they, that would benefit them. Ten other spies came back and they said, we'll never do it. There's giants. They'll kill us. God said, go in and take it. They said, eh, let's wait a little bit. So for 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness until all the disbelievers died off. At the end of the book of Joshua, you get to another book. What's the book that follows Joshua? Judges. Now, I told the first service, don't read Judges. I'm not saying don't read Judges, but if you want a depressing moment, you can read Judges. See, because after Joshua, and after his faithful service for God, and after he knocked down the walls of Jericho and all the amazing stuff that Joshua did in his life, Joshua, like everybody else, died. And Joshua gave to the next generation a command, a, an encouragement, keep on going, keep take the land, two generations. Two generations is all it took for them to go, eh, this is too much. And then you have the book of Judges. Judges is about how the children of Israel got lazy. They didn't want to do it anymore. They didn't understand why they were doing it. And so they didn't take the land. They mingled with the people of the land. They didn't finish the job. So they needed judges every once in a while because in their apathy, they became weak and all of these outside forces would try and wipe them off the earth. So they needed judges, and they got judges every once in a while, and these would be strong judges. Othniel, and remember Samson? Bonehead Samson, but strong. Do you know how the book of Judges ends? Last verse of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. God, his presence was no longer visible. There was no longer anyone in charge Chaos ruled, and the job was too hard. Apathy takes over, and Israel does what's right in their own eyes. Why is God being so harsh right off the bat? Why is God being so... I'm sure some people thought, come on, they're nice people. They're they're not bad people. What's the big deal? Why can't I... Like, all these laws, like some of the stuff we didn't talk about, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk, like... Uh, I don't understand that. Why, why shouldn't I talk to a sorceress? She needs Jesus. Or why can't I have sex with who I want to have, or apparently whatever I want to have sex with, right? Well, who's God to tell me all of this? It's because, church, God knows something about things that we do not know. 
God always knows something we do not know. Wiersbe says, before we judge Israel too severely for this, we need to ask how, many, how much God's people today are compromising with the gods of this world, such as money, pleasure, and success. See, it happens to us too. I look at God and I say, God, I don't really understand all these commands. Like, were you bored? I just needed to write something on paper for you. Here's a good one for you to follow. Craig, you really, you mess up here, so this one's specifically for you. I don't, I don't understand. Like, turn the other cheek. Doesn't that get kind of tiring after a while? Don't you feel like a little bit like a mat if you turn the other cheek? I mean, how many cheeks are we supposed to turn here? Forgive as God forgives you? Seriously, who's capable of that? Forgive your enemies. Not even a hint, the Bible says, of sexual immorality among you. Church, not even a hint of sexual immorality among you. Come on. That's a little stiff, don't you think? Pray for those who persecute you. Don't judge lest you be judged. How about every fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, and love. I, I don't, sometimes I don't want to do that stuff. So why does God tell me to do it? Why does God tell me to persevere? Why does God tell me this at all? Because church, maybe God knows something I don't know. These kinds of things make me stick out in culture. Uh Uh-huh. That's the point. My typical responses to God's directives are, God's not, that's not convenient for me. God, I'm going to make enemies if I do that. God, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb if I do that. God, I don't want to fill in the blank. God, that doesn't make sense to me. God, why would you prohibit this? God, what's the big deal? I've got lots of stuff I can say to God about all the stuff that he says to me. But you see, when I do that, I sound a lot like the Hebrews. Maybe God knows something about life in 2021 that I don't know. Like a parent talking to his or her child, sending them out into the world. Maybe that parent warns that child about some stuff they're about to face, and that child will turn to the parent and say, I've got this, don't worry about it. And the parent goes, no, you don't. You don't know what's coming. Multiply God by, in that scenario, by a thousand. Maybe God knows something about my world I don't appreciate fully. Maybe God is providing me with rules and directives and commands that will save me and help me and protect me. And maybe his reasoning is because he wants me to thrive. So here's some so what's. It begins with trust. Number one, trust that God is preparing you now for a trial certain yet to come. There's no command that God gives us that is not for our benefit and his glory. So whatever he's telling you to do, it's for your benefit and his glory. It may not make sense to you. It may make you think that you stick out like a sore thumb. It may not mitigate you into the culture in a, in a loving way that they would accept you. Culture may hate you for it. But whatever God tells us to do is always for our best and his glory. It's in our, it's in our, our statement as a church. Go, grow, and overcome. That you know, right. Go, grow, and overcome. Go, grow. If you didn't know it, that's the motto we live by. Go, grow, and overcome. Go into the world. Grow in your faith and overcome. You'll never overcome unless you trust that God knows what he's doing and you grow in your knowledge of him. Go, grow, and you can overcome. Number two, trust that no law of God is frivolous. Everyone is intentional. 
God never spends an afternoon thinking to himself, I've got an extra page here, I need to fill it up with something. Or like we think to ourselves, uh, Craig's gonna really hate this one. All his commands are intentional, they're all purposeful, and they're all for our well-being. In fact, there's a verse given to the Hebrews later on by one of their minor prophets that I love, and it's quoted quite a bit, and I think in this context, it can really be applied to us. You're probably familiar with it. It comes from Jeremiah 29. It says this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plan for welfare and not for evil to give you a, don't you want to say it? Don't you just want to say it? Plans to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that great? God's not out to make our lives miserable. He just might know something of what's coming around the corner. You don't. Number three. Trust that God knows more than we do and we should listen to him. God's purpose is to build us into the people that we need to be. God's purpose is for us to surrender all of those things in our lives that would keep us looking more like Jesus Christ. God's purpose is to remake us from who we were into who we can be. This is the definition, by the way, of what it means to follow Jesus. You literally follow his lead. 60 years after they left Sinai, we come to the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua 24, it's an amazing chapter. Joshua is about to die. If you don't know anything about Joshua, by the the way, Joshua, Yeshua should be a familiar word to you. Do you know who else was called Joshua? Jesus. Yeshua. Jesus. Ha ha. Joshua enters in to Canaan, comes up against Jericho. First thing he comes up against. It's a wall, impenetrable. History says they had chariot races on top of the walls. It's an incredibly thick wall. Bunch of slaves coming over. No weapons. (laughs) No nothing. (laughs) Literally wearing the same clothes they left Egypt with. They come across the Jordan. They come up against this wall and they go... Oh boy, what are we going to do now? And Joshua says, God's got this. (laughs) Don't you love Joshua? God's got this. Okay, yeah. What's he got it with? What are we going to do? Okay, here's the plan. We're going to go to sleep. Then we're going to wake up. We're going to march around the wall. Then the next day we're going to go to sleep. We're going to march around the wall. We're going to do that for seven days. On the seventh day, we're going to march a wall seven times. Isn't that awesome? God told me then the walls will collapse. And and you got to think, somebody looks at Joshua and goes, are you sure you didn't miss like some of the in-between directions there? There seems to be a lot of information missing. Josh says, no, this is what God said. I know it, let's do it. So the people said, okay. So they get around, march around the wall. Walls come down. They take the whole city. And now they're thinking to themselves, huzzah, we could take the whole land now, right? Because the presence of God was fighting for them. And so they do it. Joshua is all about taking land. One time Joshua's on the battlefield and, and, and he's not done the job. There's more people to kill. <laughs> and so he's out there. They're fighting against him. He's fighting against them. And he looks up in the sky and the sun's about to go down. And he's going, oh, come on. I just need a couple more hours. He literally asked God to give him a little, little bit more time. So you know what God does? Makes the sun stand still. Sun stands still. Joshua goes, exactly, let's fight. And it's like, that's really, like, wouldn't you love to have a Joshua around? You know how old Joshua was when he did that battle? A hundred years old. One hundred. 
Joshua 24, he's about to die. And he says, we gotta split up. Gad, you gotta go there. Ephraim, you gotta go there. Dan, you gotta go there. We gotta split up and we're gonna give the land to your tribes and you gotta keep doing what we've been doing. You know how to do it, just keep going. So they said, okay, we can do that. So Joshua, he calls a big meeting in, in Joshua 24. And he said, listen, you, you, gotta keep, you gotta keep going with this. This is, this is our last great meeting. I'm going to die. I don't have much time left. I can't go with you. You don't have me. You won't have Moses. You, you're on your own. Keep on going. Don't fall for the temptations of the culture. So the people said, ah, we're good. We're good to go. He said, no, you're not. You're not good to go. You don't understand what I'm saying. And you can read about it in Joshua 24. It's an amazing speech. He literally has a congregation of hundreds and thousands. Like you sitting out before me right now, he plays just as I am. He says, who wants to stand with me? And everybody stands up and they start walking forward. And you know what Joshua does? He says, wait a second, stop the music. Everybody go back to your seats. And he sends them all back to their seats. And they're going, oh, okay, I have to kind of come forward, but I guess I won't now. And he says, you don't understand what God's asking you to do. You're gonna stick out like a sore thumb. You've got to keep on task. You are gonna be tempted. You're gonna question God. Why are you telling me to act this way? Why, why, why? And you've gotta remain faithful. You've gotta believe God knows something you don't. And he says, okay, now who wants to come forward? And they play the music again. Of course, I'm making it up. They didn't have just as I am back then, but they wouldn't even get to the first chorus and people would be coming forward. People came forward and he said, okay, your word is your bond. And at this meeting, he chose some words to use very wisely. And I'd like to leave you with these words today. Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, you choose whom you will serve. Today, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, don't you want to say it? You want to say it? We will serve the Lord. Joshua is an amazing leader. The reason he sent them back to their seats the first time is because they had idols in their backpacks. He said, I know, you're not fooling anybody. You can't come forward and dedicate yourself to the Lord while you're dragging your idols around behind you. You're gonna choose. You serve them or you serve God. There's no in-between sections. And they served the Lord <laughs> for two generations. And then you have the book of Judges, which ends with everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So let me ask you, church, who knew what was coming? Our mission is the same, church. Our mission is to stand out and not conform. Do you ever feel like you're, you're, you're standing out in this culture? Do, do you not feel like that? Do you ever feel like your decisions make you stand out a little bit in this culture? Do you ever feel like an oddball? Do you ever, you ever look at culture and say, Maybe that is right. Maybe, maybe God should change his mind on this one. There are lots of churches you can go to that will tell you that very thing. But you got a leg up. You can always go to God's word and find out what he said when he wrote it. 
We judge culture through the eyes of God's word. We do not judge God through the eyes of culture. And so when God says to live a certain way, that's what we do. And if you feel like an oddball, I have one thing that I'd like to do for you. God didn't light you up to put you under a bushel. God didn't make you salt so that you'd be salt tasteless. God lit you so that you would be a fire that would stick out in a generation that's only growing more and more dark. And if you feel like you stick out, way to go. Don't stick out because you're a moron. I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Stand for God and watch what God can do through you. So I invite you to the great meeting and I invite you to reiterate these words and commission us today in this culture, in the land in which we live. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the God your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the land of the Amorites or whatever it is in the land you now dwell. Want to say it? If you say it, this is it. This is your commitment. Say it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, let's turn this world upside down. Let's change culture. Lord, I'm grateful for our time this morning. I'm grateful for the message that you've given us old as the hills, I mean from Sinai, and yet so applicable to where we are today. We trust you to know things we don't know. We trust you to be around the corner in front of us and to beckon us through, and we trust you that you only have our best and your glory through whatever you take us through. Help us to trust you in a way that makes us stick out in this culture. May this culture see in us a love for you like they've never seen before. May they see in us good neighbors like they've never had before. May they see in us protection of the vulnerable like they've never experienced before. All of the things that you have given to us in your word so that we can live as you would live. I pray that we would do just that. I pray that we would be followers of Christ in this generation. We long to make an impact in a culture that's continually losing its way. So Father, teach us how to do that really well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.